0: Good morning everyone. Uh, my name is Elizabeth Maxwell and um, I'm going to do the Bible reading and we will be reading from uh, Psalm 51. If you don't have a Bible, uh, feel free to go up the back and collect one from there and that's our gift to you if you'd like to keep it. Um, so as I said, I'm Elizabeth and I work on the, um, I volunteer in the church office um, a few hours a week and I also am on the welcoming and care team. So Psalm 51. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Saviour, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in the burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar.
1: Well, good morning, church. How are we all going? Getting into the summer spirit. I love that intro, isn't it? It's a great intro. It feels like you're down the beach, ready to to rock and roll. Hey, it's good to see you all. My name's Mark. If you don't know, I'm one of the, the elders here at church, and it's a, it's a real privilege to open God's word with you guys today. But I want to start by telling you a story. Now, in this story, there are two men, Now, one of them's a rich man. He's got everything, the fancy car, the big house. He's got hundreds of sheep. He's got the lot. Now, his neighbor is a very poor man, incredibly poor, got nothing at all, no cl- not many clothes, not many houses or anything like that. But the one thing he does have is he has a little ewe lamb. And this lamb is incredibly important to him. It's like his daughter. He looks after it, he raises it, he shares his food with it, he lets it sleep in his arms. It's everything to him. Now, one day, a traveler comes to the rich man's house. Now, the rich man wants to show off and put on a big feed for this guy. Now, the favorite food for this guy is lamb. And he looks in his fridge, and he looks around in his house, and he's got nothing. He's got nothing to offer this man. Suddenly though, he hears a sound and the sound that he hears is this, and he remembers that the guy next door has got a little lamb and so he looks over the fence and he looks around to see if the coast is clear and then he jumps over the fence, he grabs the little lamb, he brings it back, he slaughters the little lamb and feeds it up for dinner to his travelling guest. Now I want to ask you what do you reckon about this guy? Don't you just want to get this guy and throttle him? I mean what do you reckon about him? how dare he do this to this poor neighbour of his? Well, you know, there was a man in the Old Testament called King David, and he thought exactly the same when he heard this story. He burned with anger. And you know what he said about this man? In 2 Samuel, he said, you know what? As Surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die and to pay for that little lamb four times over. Now, the thing about King David, the great King David, was that he didn't expect to be told by the prophet that you, David, are that man. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm talking about the story about King David, who was the writer of much of the Psalms that we've actually been looking at over these last few weeks. And King David had committed a terrible crime. He'd stolen a man's wife, and he'd actually had the, the wife's husband murdered. So here was David, the most powerful man in Israel, powerful man in the kingdom. And he thought he'd gotten away with adultery, he thought he'd got away with murder, and now he was being confronted by it. You know, I reckon most of us, and same as King David, when we're confronted with sin in our life, what is our natural reaction? You know, our natural reaction, isn't it, is to run, to run and hide from God. And David here was totally busted, shamed by this revelation. So what does he do? And most importantly, what I'm going to be asking you today is what are you going to do? What are we going to do when we're confronted by a particular sin in our life that we've committed? And we're going to learn, I want you to come with me on a journey as we look at this psalm, as we look at David, and we're going to discover what's David's reaction to when he was confronted by his sin. You see, not long after David was confronted by this sin, he wrote this beautiful psalm, Psalm 51. And I want you to see David's first response, because it's an unnatural response. Because David's first response to be confronted by his sin was that he ran to God. He didn't run from God, he ran towards God. Look what it says in verse 1. He says, David's calling out to God. He says, "'Have mercy on me, O God.'" According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. He says, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. You see, it's an amazing response, isn't it? As normally when we do something wrong, we want to hide. It's our natural response. It's been going on since Adam and Eve. I mean, Adam and Eve in the garden, when they did wrong and they chose to disobey God, they hid from God, didn't they? They didn't want to be found by God. That's the same for us. You know, I remember when my kids were little, often you'd come home from work and sometimes it'd be like a ghost town. Nobody'd be there. And you know, you knew they were home. The bags were on the floor. The food was on the bench. We knew they were there, but they were nowhere to be seen. And I knew at that stage that they'd done something wrong. They'd either hurt each other, they'd broken something, or they'd eaten Dad's chocolates. But I knew they'd done something wrong. You know, even I remember even more when I came home one day and it was eerily quiet, it was like a ghost town. And I looked around, I thought, oh, what have they done? What have they done? I looked around, I went past my son Nathan's room. Nathan's room was clean, get that. Never had his room clean. And I knew something was wrong and I started to panic. I actually went and looked for the girls because I thought Nathan had killed one of them. But um, it's our natural reaction, isn't it? When we sin, we hide. When we sin, we hide because of the shame and the fear. But not David. Look what David did in verses 1 and 2. Instead of running from God, he runs to God. And he calls out, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, your great compassion, blot out my sins. You see, David called out to God because he knew God. He knew the character of God. He knew that God was a forgiving God. He knew that God had chosen him before the beginning of time. And that all he needed to do was to come before God and repent. You see, church, I can't stress it enough. I cannot stress it strongly enough, the utter importance that if you're a follower of Jesus, you actually know the character of God. You actually know that he is a merciful, passionate, um, considering, forgiving God. Because if you do not, if you do not know that God is a compassionate, loving, forgiving God, you will never run to him. You will never run to him in your sin. If you think that God is a God who wants to punish you, if you think that God is the ogre in in the skies who wants to hit you with a lightning bolt, you will never run to him. You see, the cults and the false religions, they thrive. Why do they thrive? They thrive because their followers do not know the true character of God. And they use fear to manipulate and control their followers. But David knows his God. David knew him. And instead of running away from God, he runs towards God, knowing that God will wash away his sin and cleanse him as he admits his sin. You see, the next thing in this passage that David does is not only does he run to God, okay, but David owns his sin. It's so incredibly important that we own our sin. Look what he says in verse 3. He says, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. He says, Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. You see, church, David was overwhelmed by his sin. It was always before him, he says. And every time he wanted to make a step forward and do something for God, you could imagine Satan there in the background whispering into David's ear, oh, David, how could you be the king? How could you lead people of Israel? You've murdered your own soldiers. You've slept with his wife. You've done all these things. And it would have been constantly on David's mind. I wonder, though, how many times do we struggle with shame or guilt? You know, because we cannot seem to cut it as a Christian. How many times do we struggle with that? How many times do we don't come to church because, you know, if there's something we said or looked at last night or we've done in our life, and we can't seem to come to church and we can't seem to sing praises to God because of the shame and the guilt in our life. You know, David knows, though, that the only way to overcome this is just to be honest and to be real before God, to be honest and real with God. You know, I really believe that one of the reasons that we fail as Christians to to feel forgiven or be forgiven is basically we're liars. We're very good at lying, aren't we? We're very good at lying to our others. We're good at lying to God. And we're good at lying to ourselves and, and justifying our sins. You know, and it's not unusual... It's been going on since the Garden of Eden. Look at Adam and Eve, Genesis chapter three. God, Adam and Eve chose to disobey God. God confronts them in the garden. What do they do? They run, they hide. But I want you to see Adam's response when God confronts Adam. It's a classic response. It's a male response. And unfortunately, I can hear it in my own responses. Look what he says. God confronts Adam. Adam says this, the woman you put there here with me She gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Adam's basically saying, not my fault. Man, that woman you put here, she's the one that made me sin. It's her fault. It's not my fault. It's all hers. But ladies, don't just think it's a male problem, okay? Look what Eve says. Eve has an even more convenient excuse. God says to Eve, what is this this you ate? Eve says in her reply, the serpent. The serpent deceived me and I ate it. Hey God, I'm just an innocent bystander. The serpent made me do it. I'm not responsible for that sin. We're very, very good, aren't we? You can hear it in your own excuses. We're good at making excuses before God. You know, many years ago I um, had a, a beautiful brother. And um, I still got him, but I mean, a beautiful brother in the Lord. And um, I had to confront him because he committed adultery. And I still remember today going over to his house. And um, we sat there with a group of us and we wanted to love him, but we wanted to confront him about what he'd done. And I still remember today him reaching over to a Bible that he had on his table. And he wanted to grab that Bible because he'd foolishly... Fooled himself into believing that there was an obscure verse that he could pull out of the Bible that justified what he had done. And I remember sitting there with him at the table, and I said to him in the end, I said, Mate, you have just got to stop. You've got to stop. You've got to stop trying to justify yourself. You've got to stop trying to blame everyone else. And I said to him, how dare you grab the Bible and try and justify your actions through some scripture that you've pulled way out of context? How dare you do that instead of owning up to your own sin? You see, church, if we're ever going to run to God, if you're ever going to deal with a sin in your life, then you've got to admit to it. You've got to own your own sin and you've got to deal with it. And the way we deal with it is we run to God and we seek God's forgiveness just like David did. But we've got to stop lying and we've got to admit and own our sin. You see, in verse 5, David goes on. And David has come to the point in his life where I really believe he's over it. He's over the lies. He's over the doing the religious thing. And he continues now just to be really real with God. Look what he says in verse five. He says, surely I was sinful at birth. I was sinful from the time my mother conceived me. You see, David realized there's never been a time in his life where he hasn't had a disposition to sin. And I want to say to you here today, there's never been a time in your life where you haven't had a bent towards sin. It's part of our human nature. You know, David knows the depth of his fallenness. And he cries out to God in all of his honesty. No more justification. There's no more lies here. Just an honesty with God. You know, I wonder this morning, if you were to get really real with God, if you were to get real with God and lay it all out before him, what would it be? I mean, what would that lie that you've been kidding yourself about, what would it be between you and God? You know, I want us just to take a moment, and maybe you need to close your eyes, but I want us just to take a moment and ask God, God, what is it? God, what is that lie that I've been kidding myself with? And I want you to listen. If you're a Christian here today, if you're a believer then you listen to the Holy Spirit. You listen to that small voice of the Holy Spirit. What is he saying to you now? What is he prompting you with? You know, church, even more important than what it is, the question is, what are you going to do about it? what are you going to do about it? I mean, if we're going to follow David's example here, David's example here is that we need to confess. And we need to confess now. We need to bring it to God and say, God, here it is. Here's all my sin. Here's all my filth. I'm laying it bare before you. You see, too often we make the mistake with the sin in our life that we fail to go straight to God, don't we? We fail to go straight to God and we try and think, oh, well, I'll just do it on my own or I'll get better or I'll give more or I'll try harder. I'll be a, try and be a better person. I'll get some brownie points with God. And the problem is that when we do that, when we try and approach God and find forgiveness, appealing to our own goodness instead of God's goodness, let me tell you, you're going to fail. You're going to fail time and time again. Where God is just calling us to come to Him as we are, sin and all, and confess. You know, many of you would know that I'm a foreman on a building sites. and um, a part of my crew, we've got about three or four apprentices. And I let me tell you, on a building site, when you one of the most frustrating things on a building site is when your apprentice makes a mistake again. Okay, really frustrating. But you know what's even more frustrating? When they don't own their mistake. You know, your apprentice will say, oh, Mark, you gave me the wrong timber. Oh, Mark, you gave me a blunt saw. Oh, Mark, a dinosaur went over my head and took my measuring tape, or whatever it is. All it does is make you madder. It just makes you more and more mad. And you know what? I'm going to give you a tip here today if any of you young guys want to be an apprentice. Okay, listen up. If you want to be a good apprentice or a good employee, what do you do when you make a mistake? You go straight to the boss and you say, Mark, mate, I'm sorry. It happened on Friday. One of the apprentices came to me and said, Mark, I'm sorry, I stuffed up. I cut the sheet wrong. And I'm a softie, most of you would know. And so what do I do as a softie? That's all right, mate. Don't worry about it. It'll cost me another hundred bucks. That's all right. And you know, God is no different, okay? God wants you to come to him. He wants you to man up. He wants you to own your sin. And he wants you to come to him with a repentant heart and say, God, I'm sorry. I've messed up again. Please forgive me. Own our sin. Because when we own our sin, it's there where we find the grace of God. It's there where we find the forgiveness of God, just as David found it. So what's the next response? We've seen that David has sinned greatly. We see that David has run to God. He's owned his sin. And now we see that David finds forgiveness. Look what we see in verse 7. David calls out to God. He says, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. You see, David, what he's doing here, he's looking back to the Exodus story, isn't he? Where God in his incredible love for the people of Israel rescued them. It's where the the night before the angel of death came through. God told the people of Israel to get a a lamb, to slaughter the lamb, to get a a branch of hyssop, to dip it in the blood, and then to wipe it on the tops of your door. And when the angel of death was going to come through Israel, the angel would see the blood and you would be safe. You see, David was looking back to the character of God because he knew the character of God was a God of forgiveness. Forgiveness, mercy, who saved his people and set them free. And what it did also for us is it reminds us of a God who sent the ultimate lamb, the perfect lamb, the final lamb of God in Jesus, who would shed his blood and his blood would would uh, help would cause us to be forgiven. You know, I love the imagery there though that David uses. The imagery of we are being made whiter than snow. You know, this year, I took the kids up to um, the snowfields. And for the first time, we saw real snow falling. And it was heaps. There was snow everywhere. And when the sun came out in the afternoon, it was absolutely beautiful. You look out, and there's no blemishes on the snowfields. It is clean, crisp, and beautiful. And that's the imagery here that David is giving us when we come before a forgiving, almighty God. And I want to ask us, church, Do you believe that? I mean, do you really believe that? Do you really believe that when we come before God, when we take our stuff, when we take our sin, when we take that thing that makes us feel dirty and ashamed and guilty, do you believe that it's gone? Do you believe that it's gone? I mean, look what David says, and he says it twice. He says, cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. He says, wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Church, there's no maybe here. Okay. There's no, hang on a minute. What about that sin you committed last week or that sin you committed three years ago? There's none of that at all. He's saying, wash me and I will be clean. I will be whiter than snow. You see, David's example to us is that we are to flee, to run to a merciful, compassionate God and to lay it all out before him. Don't hold anything back. Stop lying and making excuses that you had a terrible family, your dad was a rotter, your mum was bad, your wife's got two heads, whatever it is. Let's stop bringing the excuses before God and own up to our sin and bring it before a merciful God. Just come to him. Admit our sin and believe that through the blood of Jesus, I will be clean. I will be like those beautiful, fresh, clean snow fields. With no shame. With no guilt. When I put my trust in the blood of the lamb. The blood of Jesus. Look, in verses 10 to 12, David, we've learned, has run to God. He's confessed to God. He's found forgiveness from God. And now David shows us his heart. You know, I love what we see here in this psalm about David. It helps me understand why God said that David was a man after God's own heart. Look what he says there in verses 10. He says, Create in me a pure heart, O God and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take away your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. See, firstly, David, and you've got to understand, David could have asked for anything. David asked for a pure heart. See, David's sick of the battle, isn't he? Every day, battling with sin, battling, battling, battling. So he asks God for a pure heart. He also asks God for a steadfast faith to be renewed. See, David's looking back to the times when he was a little boy out in the field looking after the sheep, playing his harp and and singing praises to God and being with God. He loved that relationship that he had with God and he wants to return to that. Now in verse 12, he goes on and he asks God to restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Notice here, it's really important. Notice here, David hasn't lost his salvation, has he? But as a consequence of David's sin, he's lost the joy of his salvation. He's lost the joy. You know, I wonder how many of us here today have lost the joy of your salvation because of the consequence of the sin in our life. And I wonder here today, maybe some of you here today and you've never experienced the joy of salvation. You've never experienced what it is to be a son or a daughter of God. Church, let's make this year a year when we don't lose our joy. We don't lose the joy of our salvation. So critically important. You know, yesterday morning I got up early, I knew I had to to preach today and and I got up and I've got to admit my mind was everywhere and I was feeling a bit out of it, I was feeling a bit down actually and I was sitting there struggling. I knew what I wanted to say but anyway, if you've ever preached, you'll know what I'm talking about. And at that time, I I just had to get right with God and so I was sitting in my chair in the office and I was looking out and I just thought, man, i have got to actually take this psalm seriously. And i just got to pour out my heart to god and so i put my head down on the chair that was in front of me and i just called out to god and i admitted to god all my sin all of my filth all of my rubbish and i just poured out my heart to god and i reread the psalm again and I reminded myself that you know what i'm clean i'm whiter than snow and i don't have to worry about all the anxieties. I don't have to worry about all the stress. I don't have to worry about standing before you as a broken, sinful person, because God's got me. And I'm, I'm clean in God's eyes. And you know what it did to me? I'm serious. you know what it did to me? It actually brought me joy. And I'm sitting here in my office, and I thought, man, I can do this, because I'm clean. I can do this because I'm a son or daughter of God's church. It's, a, it's an incredible experience when we just own up and be honest with God and not run away from God, or hide from God, because we and I want the joy of your salvation. You know, we don't only have a joy for now, we have a joy in heaven. You know, this week, we had an incredible loss of a most beautiful brother of ours, Barry. Now, I loved Barry. I was with Barry on the eldership for many, many years as an elder, as a pastor, and I love this man of God. But you know, Barry had a joy, The joy of his salvation he's experiencing now. He's back up in heaven. He's in heaven with his beautiful wife, Margaret. And he's got a wonderful joy. And it's a joy that we all have if we put our trust in Jesus. It's the joy of our eternity, our salvation in heaven forever. And you can have that now. If you're not a believer here today, if you've never experienced and put your trust in Jesus' death on the cross, I implore you, do it now. Do it today. Do not leave it another day. And if you're a believer here today, well, then you need to return to the joy of your salvation by just being with God in his presence as a forgiven brother or sister. Look lastly in verse 13. David's run to God. He's confessed to God. He's found forgiveness in God. And you know what David wants to do now? Man, he just wants to praise God. He wants to praise him in service and worship. In verse 13, his passions return. He's been set free from sin. And look what he says. He says, you know what? I'm going to teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Church, there's nothing more powerful than a changed life to show the God's goodness, to show the power of the gospel. There is nothing more powerful in verse 14 to 15 than a broken, sinful man like David singing praises to God. David then, though, goes on to say something which is quite controversial. It's actually very controversial. Look what David says in 16 to 17. Basically, David says that God isn't interested in your sacrifices, that God isn't interested in your burnt offerings, that God isn't interested in your good works, God isn't interested in the religious things you do. In fact, they're actually a complete waste of time. You know, I was watching a documentary um, recently, and the documentary was called uh, "The Story of God," and it was by Morgan Freeman. And he went around all the world and he interviewed all these religious people, and these religious people were doing incredible acts of sacrifice and these incredible acts trying to please their so-called God. But all of the things they were doing were just an incredible waste of time. Do you actually know what pleases God? Church, do you know what pleases God? Do you know what sacrifice pleases God? Well, David tells us. He tells us in verse 17, The sacrifice that pleases God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. You see, church, it's not our good works that please God. The thing that pleases God, the sacrifice that pleases God, is a humble heart, a contrite heart, a heart that comes before God and says, God, here I am, a sinful, broken man, and I'm going to trust you for my forgiveness. I'm going to put my trust in you. I am lost without you, Lord. That's what pleases God. You see, brothers and sisters, David is giving us some amazing insights into this psalm today. I love this psalm. I really do. Because it just keeps reminding me that we are to come before God with humility. That we are to come before God with all of our seal warts and all. Here I am, God. Here is my sin. Here is my filth. And I'm going to come before you, God. I'm going to ask for your mercy because your love is unfailing, because your compassion is great, and I'm asking that you wash away all of my filth. Wash me clean. And I'm going to trust in your son's death. I'm going to trust in your son's death on that cross. And I will be clean. I'm going to trust in your son's death on the cross. And I will be whiter than snow. And I want to say to you, church, this week, as you go into your week this week, when you stop believing that, when you stop start doubting that, and you will, I want you to come back to what we've learned today I want you to come back to this psalm of David and I want you to come back to God's word because I reckon God's word in 1 John chapter 1 verse 9 puts it even more beautifully it says that if we confess our sins okay if you confess your sins what's the outcome well the outcome is that he is a faithful that is God and he is just and what's he going to do he says he's going to forgive our sins and he'll purify us From all unrighteousness. It's a pretty good promise, isn't it? And that's a promise that we can take into this week. That when you're feeling like you are just too sinful, when you're feeling too guilty or too shamed, you need to run to God like David. You need to call out to God because it's there you'll find forgiveness, it's there you'll be made clean from all unrighteousness, because of what Jesus did on that cross for you. And I want to encourage us this week. Church, spend some time with God this week. I don't care what you've done. Own your sin and just get alone and spend that time and call out to your amazing God. Hey, let me pray. Lord God, I want to thank you so much That even though you know my sin, you know the sins of my beautiful brothers and sisters here today, just like David, we can call out to you. We don't have to run. We don't have to hide from you. But we can come with all of our junk and we can come confidently and we can claim that verse, that first John, that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just and you are going to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. Oh, Lord, I want to thank you for that. I praise you for that. I praise you that I don't have to be beaten down by sin. I don't have to walk out of this place today feeling dirty or feeling enslaved to sin, that we can be set free because of Jesus. And Lord, I want to pray for anybody here today that if you don't know Jesus, if you've never got serious, if you've never bowed and if hum- you humbled yourself before the King of Kings, that I want to pray that today would be the day that you do that. Today is the day that you need to come. You need to get right with God today. And I want to pray that you would have the courage to come and speak to me. Come and speak to RJ. Come and speak to someone who you know who loves Jesus. And you get right with God today. You walk away from this place a new person. So, Lord, free us from our sin this year. Lord, may we not lose the joy of our salvation this year. And we just thank you, thank you, thank you for all that you've done. Yeah, In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening, church. And I'd love to speak to you after service. If you want to come, RJ, wherever he is, he'll be down the front. And um, yeah, come and speak to us. Leave today right with Jesus.